0: on the Christ. sure and steady. We have a copy of God's Word. We're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Again, Romans chapter 8, looking at verse 28. And to give some context, I'll start with verse 26. And I'll read all the way down to verse 30, but our focus today is just going to be on verse 28. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And those whom he justify, he also glorified. We got introduced to introduce the word glorified, glorification weeks ago. But Paul even ends here in verse 30, the glorification again. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to help us with this verse 28 this morning. Our Father, God in heaven, Lord, uh, we thank you again for this Lord's Day. We thank you for this special time in the worship, Lord. We come to sit upon your word. Lord, open our hearts right now to hear your word, for us to receive your word. Soften our hearts, Lord. If there's any pride, Lord, that's right now, Lord, um, that is so strong, Lord, that can prevent your word from going forward, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to remove that pride. Let let your word, Lord, pierce through any type of barriers for us this morning, Lord, to be edified, to be encouraged this morning bless us with your word this morning, Lord. Help me in my weakness. Give me the strength, Lord, that only can come from above that I can preach your word faithfully. So, Lord, give us your word at this time. Build your people up. And if anyone, Lord, even my own heart, this morning is feeling like I know everything about the word, that I don't need another word, Lord, rebuke us this morning and let us be reminded we need more of your word this morning. So, Lord, give us your word and let us receive your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I grew up, you know, with a mother. Uh, my mom was a pretty southerner. And uh, one thing she always made that I always enjoyed growing up was her banana pudding. And that's the only way I've known banana pudding be made is to be hot. She'll put it on the stove and warm up the all the ingredients on the stove. And it come out and it's just as hot as it can be. And it'd be so, so good. And all of a sudden, I got married. Now, my wife, right, she made banana pudding. But her banana pudding is the totally opposite. Her banana pudding is cold. And so for me, like, you know, I never had banana pudding like this. So this is so, so wrong. This is the right way because this is what I've had all my life. I've had hot banana pudding, so cold banana pudding wasn't a such thing. But once when I ate some of that cold banana pudding, when I ate it, it did, did something to my whole life, and it was something I never had before. And I now are able to, I was able to see that cold banana pudding is edible, it's good, and it it's even good for the soul, and it it's enjoyable. And still to this day, now I think my mom, I don't know if she makes hot banana pudding anymore. But the banana pudding is so good. But this sermon is not about banana pudding. But I think it's a great segment or a great illustration to, to point us right into this sermon message. All of our lives we have as, uh, as believers now, where we was unbelievers, we always knew what evil was. We knew when someone died in a car wreck or someone hit somebody on purpose, somebody been mean to somebody. These things are evil. All throughout our lives. We always known what evil was because what somebody have done to us. This is evil. So somebody stole this from me. This is evil. All of these things are evil. All of our lives. We have seen things this way, but now as a believer, there is no such thing when I say it as evil in the life of the believer. What I mean by this, don't throw nothing at me yet. Y'all bear with me, don't throw anything, give give me some grace. That for as believers, now everything that happens to us, right, somebody steal from us, somebody belittle us, gossip, somebody do all these things about us now, now we see things differently. We see these things now that God is using these moments for us to know more of him, to see more of him, to grow him. We don't see things as evil as the world sees evil. We see things as moments that God is placing in our lives for us now to trust him to grow in him. Just like I saw the banana pudding one way. Now I can see it another way. As believer, we don't engage the world like the world engages. The world sees everything as so bad. Everything also, everything as, uh, 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 as, as, in a way of they're not getting what they want. They see things from, from selfish lenses. But as believers, when hard times come our way, we don't go first to look at things in a way how the world looks at things. But as believers, we look at things in a way Jesus looks at things. That God has allowed us to happen for his ultimate good. For me to see his glory. For me to grow in his glory. You know all the things I just mentioned? I didn't say anything negative, did I? I said everything that God wants us to see in this. That God wants us to see his glory in his particular moments. We don't come around and say, woe is me, woe is me. We said, God, you are doing something I don't understand, but I know it's your good and you're going to work everything out for your own good. That's how believers see things. But the world see things in the way of everything is just so bad so bad so bad but as believers we see it that God is doing something that's so amazing but my eyes cannot understand it right now but it's so good but I just don't understand And some of y'all like hey Preston you telling me that bad things don't happen in life of believers what I hope as we finish this message off today that it can better encourage you that now as believers anything come our way, God allowed it to come. God allowed it to come. And by God allowing it to come, God is going to use what the world may try to use as evil, as the world might use as bad, as people in the world doesn't despise us, how the world might use things. God let them do it, but God turns around what they do and use it for his good. Mm -hmm. My God. My God. So what can happen to us? What can man do to us? That's what we're going to hear the rest of Romans 8. And you talk about what charges? What can man do? And Paul talks about this: if that you kill me, I give it to the Lord. I stay here. I proclaim Jesus. What can happen to the church? We win. We win. And again, my favorite song: we do is win, 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 no matter what, right? We win in everything we do. But y'all, y'all, y'all kind of quiet. Y'all don't believe me this morning. So let, let us just write into our text. We're going to do it in two points today. Normally two points. Normally short sermon points this morning. Who is Paul referring to that love God in verse 28? And the second point is going to be, what happened to those that suffer but are loving God? In 28b. And we're going to two, two sub points from this second point. Suffering work out for their good. And the last sub point is going to be, they are called according to his will or purpose. If I could title this sermon today, I would say all things work together for good All things were together For good Let's jump to point number one Who was Paul referring to That loved God And we know that, though, that For those who love God All things were together for good Everybody put their finger in the word and 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 helps us know that Paul is continuing his thought From this section from the last session. Paul is encouraging weak suffering Christians that God has all has, has and always will secure us. He has provided proof of this assurance in this entire chapter. This chapter is not focusing on unbelievers. So when you talk about the Romans, Romans 8, 28, the verse we use in football games, basketball games, this verse is for believers. This verse is for believers. It is focusing on those that are saints. Is overwhelmed by the daily struggles of the flesh. Who are saints? Believers. We are saints, right? And I talked about the Catholic Church had all these monuments and statues, all these different money, all these things they had. Boy, they, they had like 10,000 saints. They paid this money to get there. That's not what we're talking about in biblical saints. In the Bible, saints is nothing but those that are set apart by Christ. Those are true believers. So all of us that are believers in the room, family, we all are saints. But today we're going to notice two approaches to this verse in verse 28. The first approach we see this verse is a different session from verse 27. That Paul now gives another reason for our assurance. Is Paul saying this in verse 28? If he's giving us another reason for our assurance. Another approach people have taken on this verse 28 is... Is Paul, um, the second process is, is Paul is including this verse 28 with the verse that came before it. That Paul is continuing the thinking of the Spirit from verses 12 through 28 in assurance. I believe we can see both happening because of the conjunction and. Paul Goldens' his entire chapter is assurance, assurance, and assurance, right? He is reminding believers that are weak in their faith. He reminded them that nothing would separate you from the Lord or separate you from Christ. That that nothing will. That you would not be condemned. Some of y'all are flinching like, I'm scared. Like, God is going to condemn me. He said, stop flinching. You don't have to be scared. I would not condemn you because of what Christ has done. But he also talks about we get life and peace. So many things he talks about that what the Christian life gets. Suffering. Christians get down on themselves when things get hard. They start to believe things that are unbiblical. They start to question their salvation. Well, Paul is yelling at them, there's no need for that. When things get hard, no need to question your salvation. And to give us true, needed wisdom to encourage us of the very thing right here. Christians, don't get down on yourselves. But it is Jesus who took the condemnation for you, but for us. It is life and peace in Jesus. It is adoption. It is the Holy Spirit. It is glorification. It is creating, uh, it Is God creating in us a new man. But not only that, but we are the ones that know the things of God. So Paul is encouraging the Christians to over and over in chapter 28. Those that struggle and say, hey, I, I, I thought I would never do this sin again. Uh, why does it continue to happen? I, I confess this to the Lord, but I continue struggling with these certain things. Paul is encouraging the we Christians, don't give up, you would not be condemned. God is using this to grow you into the image of his son. And Paul continued the same thought. Paul is like, I want to continue giving you more and more reasons to be reminded that you would never be separated from Jesus. So Paul is giving us things after things after things after things. He has continued going, continue going, continued going. I guess I'm kind of hungry this morning. This past uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, my mom made a big Thanksgiving meal. And we're everything out. We thought everything was finished, so we had everything on the table. We go into the refrigerator. She had a whole other layers of more stuff. It just kept bringing stuff out. like, who's going to eat all this stuff? It was just more food, more food, more food. It, 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 like it didn't ever stop. But Paul has given us so many reasons right here. It never stops. Paul is continuing naming things right here that we have in Christ. So when you are overburdened, when life gets so hard, remind yourself of all these various things you have in Christ that you will never be separated from him. That's what Paul is doing. That's no excuse for you to be down. Feeling like Christ has left you, Christ will not leave you. How do we know this? Look back in verse 28 again. And we know. This we know is referring to Paul who is writing this letter, but also the Roman church who he is writing this letter to. But for all believers, that we know something. This is a part of what we know. And we know that for those who love God. And let me be clear. This is not all we know. But before Paul tells us more things we know, he wants to first make sure we know who are the ones that he had, that had this special knowledge on knowing what he is about to say. It is the ones that love God. Paul is making a clear distinction that Romans eight isn't for everybody. It is only for those that love God that everyone don't know this only those that love God unbelievers don't know this they can't comprehend this everyone isn't born to know this only those that are born of God this is something given to those that are being interceded for by the spirit in verse 26 and 27 if the spirit is not praying for us to the father you don't know what Paul is getting at in verse 28 but many people feel like this is for them. They've heard these things. They've heard the verse Romans 8.28 and say, no, Romans 8.28 is for me. This reminds me of the parables of Matthew 13, 10 through 17. Listen to how Jesus, Jesus gave parables. Who did he get a parable to? Listen to this. Then the disciples came to them saying said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Who is you? The disciples. But to them it has not been given. For to the the one who has, the more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But but, But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And indeed, in their case, the prophecies of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you would indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should be should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and I will heal them. Verse 16 But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you see and did not hear it. Why did I read that verse? Is that the parables was actually given only to his disciples, those that were believers? He spoke in parables so the world did not understand the special things of God. And the same way Paul is getting at here in our verse Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, who know this, we notice that believers, the, under, the world doesn't understand these things of God. They think these things are for them. These things are particularly for the believers. But they hear these things, but they can't proceed them. They can't understand them. Have you ever met somebody before, right? They they're not truly, they're not in Christ. And they say, well, I know about the Bible, I read the Bible so many times. I know all these certain things, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to believe, but I know these certain things. They don't know them. They have read things, but they don't know them. If you're truly not in Christ and have the spirit in you, you don't know the things of God. Even though you might think you know the things of God, you don't know God has blinded you. Even in Jesus' day. Many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't understand these things because God has blinded them and God has judged them. So Paul is making it clear. That this right here is referring to those that love God. All things work together for good for those who are called it to the purpose. Paul is thinking about the church right now. We see here who love God is another and the attribute is another attribute of those. The word love him the clarity on who those he's referring to. It's one that loves God. The word love is commonly used within the Greek language. In the English language, we say love every time we, we try to have some affections or we use the word so much in the English language. In the Greek language, I'm not a Greek scholar, I barely know English. There's about seven to eight words that's used for the word love in Greek. Y'all know some of them. Is it eros? Eros and phileo and agape, pragma, pragma, I think. I think eros is a word that means a type of intimate, sexual passion type of love. Phileo is the friendship, right? This friend, Philadelphia comes from word, right? Phileo is this type of deep friendship type of love. I think it's Lutus, Lutus, y'all heard that one? Come on y'all, you great now. It's a word that deals with this type of playful love. Um, One called Storge, 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 y'all, y'all, y'all. It's like this family love. So. Mania is one that talks about this obsessive love. So we got like seven or eight different words love. And y'all just been telling everybody you love them, right? So what love is Paul getting at here in our text? Well, I think the first way to find out is, looking to the Greek. And I think looking to the Greek, we see a unique word there. We used the word y'all mentioned earlier was y'all don't want to mess it up. It's agape. It's agape love. And agape love, it deals with this 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 um, unconditional love. It's a love that deals with trust, forgiveness, acceptance. Want to say? It is a precisely for those that are in God. They're the ones that are loving God. This agape love, this unconditional love, they have. This is not a love that believe unbelievers have for God. Unbelievers do not love God. Believers love God. Love one person means to take this pleasure in. So these are the ones that are taking pleasure in God. They're finding set affection in God. For them, they see God as the one they live for. So the one that is loving God is the who. The verse is referring. Rest of the verses. If y'all notice, so I keep saying the word loving, right? I use the word loving because this word agape is a participle. It's a participle. Y'all remember when I talk about a participle? A participle is something that is ongoing. We use participle in English. in a very different word when we put ing at the end of a word. Walking. When somebody is walking, they are act- actively at walk. Right? They are taking a walk. Talking, somebody's actually, we're talking. Running, they're just not for running. run, they actually doing it. So this word love is actually in Greek is loving. Any of your Bible have I-N-G on it or just love? Most translations just has the word love. The word is actually loving. What's so unique about this word being loving is that this person didn't just love God one time in the past. This person that Paul is talking about in Romans eight twenty eight, this person just didn't love God one time. This person is continually loving God. This is actually happening. He have loved God in the past. He or she have loved God in the past. They love God in the present, and they'll continue loving God in the future. So this verse right here in Romans eight twenty eight is those that truly love God. Unbelievers love themselves. They love themselves. They make everything about themselves. They don't worship God. They worship themselves. These are not the people that he's referring to. But for those that he's referring to here is believers. And it's a reason why I continue saying this because I want you to be able to embrace what I'm saying as believers that this is for you. This message that I'm preaching is for you and for me. This is for us. Dr. Marlon Jones translate this verse says, and we know that to, to the warns loving God, all things work together for good. Again, we have established clearly that Paul is making it clear who he's talking about here. He's talking about you and me and all the rest of the believers. Guess who he's talking to, those that are loving God. We all face the desires of the flesh Struggles with temptation. But Paul doesn't go there to address all those things right now. But Paul wants first to, baby, say, hey, Christian, this is for you. What I'm about to say, this is for you that are loving God. Brings us to point number two. We just established now who are those that Paul is talking to those that have loved God in the past, those that are loving God in the present those that are continuing to love God all the way to glory. Those that are truly loving God, those that have this pleasure in God, those that seek God for, for who God is, those that are submitted to God, that's who Paul is referring to. For those that are in the room that I just described, let me share more about what happened to those that suffered that love God. What happened? Point number two. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, the first subpoint: suffering work out for your good. The first thing we see happening to those that are suffering and loving God is that all things work together for good. This word "all" is used often throughout the Old and New Testament. The word "all" is the word "passa" or can be the word "pan." We have seen it used in the words of all, every, each, whole, total, complete. This word has been translated a lot of time through our scriptures. So the all consists of everything that's happening in the Christian life. When it said all things work together for good. All things. It could be the good, it can be the bad. But I'll argue this morning, even though Paul uses all things worked for the good, I'll argue this all is now referring to the good in the Christian life. I'll argue that the main focus in here, Paul is focusing on all the things we consist of as bad in the Christian life. The all they're referring to ever since from chapter seven, you remember Paul in chapter seven? Listen to what Paul says at the end of chapter seven. So I find to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. So Paul talked about this struggle. The inner man and newly in Christ, it loves you, Lord, but the outside man wants the things of this world. Paul talked about the flesh back and forth. Somebody said something to me at work. I got to say something about it. I got to speak my mind. I got to check them for this, right? The flesh is saying this, but the Spirit says, pray for them. The spirit is, so that battle is back and forth in the Christian life. And Paul has said, hey, y'all in the 21st century think you're struggling with this. I was struggling with this in the 1st century. The 2nd century, the 3rd century, brothers and sisters are still struggling with the flesh. So Paul has started off even at the end of uh, Romans 7 it starts off in chapter 8, explaining for those that are struggling with the flesh, look at what you have in Christ. So the all I think Paul is referring to here is focusing not on the good right now, but on the bad right now. So the all is referring to every area of the suffering is for good. Every area of the bad or the suffering in the Christian life Every area, not area that we point and choose, right? It's that every area is for what? Good. It's for good. Not just one area of suffering, but all areas of suffering is pointing to good. This is not for those that don't love God, but only for those that love God. Good happens at all times in the Christian life. This should be encouraging news for us. But we don't accept this thought mostly. We mostly complain about the bad things that happen. We don't take the posture of Paul in 2 Corinthians. When Paul had the thorn in his side, when, the, when Paul wanted this thorn to be removed, but Paul said, your grace is sufficient. Paul is human just like us. He's he just like us, right? He built tents. That's how he worked for a living. Paul is no different from us. Right? He's a brother in Christ, just like us. And Paul said this right in the middle of what he was facing. Paul responds in this way. Your grace is sufficient. When Saul came to David in, in, a, in, a, mount, uh, in a cave of Adullam, and David knew Saul wanted his life, David had a chance to kill Saul. David responded in grace to Saul. He didn't kill them. When bad happens in believers' lives, but God honors the scriptures, when things happen in Christian lives, Christians respond the way God requires us to respond, the same way Jesus responds. So, but I'm going to ask the question here for us believers why do we complain when bad things happen? Why is our first question, why me? I didn't do anything to anybody. Uh, Why did I have to go through so many things? Another question might be, how long was this gonna last? There are many questions normally surround this type of thinking. But as believers, why are we going straight to those type of questions? But why our first posture is to go to those certain questions? If all things happen for our good, why do we go to those questions? Why do we go to the negative questions? Why they treat me like this at work? Why do the, why they do me like this? Why do family do me like this? Why do we go so negative as Christians? We should ask questions of thankfulness and gratitude. Lord, how can I see your glory in the midst of this? I Say, write these things down if you can. Write these things down. Lord, how can I see your glory in the midst of this suffering? Lord, what attribute can I see of you in this moment? Lord, what area in my life can be glorified, I mean, can glorify you in this moment? Why don't we go to these questions? We don't go to these questions because we're so comfortable with the things that the flesh has to offer. We okay? It's so easy to say the things of the flesh because the flesh is corrupt. So guess what we do? We trust the flesh to give us responses. We don't trust the things that are hard right then because what what happens when, when God goes before us and we ask these type of questions, right? It's going to be a long suffering. This might be a long response. Right then, we want things to happen right there. Roy, and so we, we rely on the flesh because we want instant results. I'm going to speak my mind in just that moment. The type of question I just mentioned, how can I see your glory in suffering? What attribute can I see in this, in this moment? What area in my life can, can glorify you in this moment? These types of questions are embracing suffering and not complaining about suffering. Because when we complain about suffering, we're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. Anytime we complain and suffering, we're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You notice the questions I just mentioned? These questions are trying not trying to speed up the process of duration of suffering. It's not, don't know the questions say, hey, how long is it going to be? It's not questioning the suffering. It's embracing the suffering. It's embracing it. A lot of time in suffering, we look at things outside of that moment to give us hope instead of seeing the hope that is in suffering. Let me say, and everybody listen to this: a lot of time in suffering, we look at things outside of that moment to give us hope instead of seeing the hope in the suffering. Let me give you an example. That might've been a few. Let me give you an example. Somebody in the car wreck may say, I lost my car, but my life is spared. Right? Nothing, nothing bad with that, just stick with it. Another example. Somebody said, I lost my job, but hey, I got a better job. And let me be clear, th- that's nothing wrong with that. Got a better job, th- my life was spared, but I want to encourage you to see the blessing and the good in the suffering of itself. Going back to the example of someone in a car wreck. And if somebody, their life was spared. Let's go back to that example again. Let's see the good in the car wreck. Paul said everything's for good. So the car wreck, right now in this moment, right? In this certain moment. God said it's good. And I know that doesn't sound right in our world today, that having a car wreck, let me just have. Now, I'm not saying it's going to hit somebody and say it's good. Now, I'm not saying that. No, right? But things that God allowed, the wreck is good because God has allowed this event to happen for me to see he was using this moment in tragedy, right? In this certain moment, he's using this moment for me to see that he is a good God. This wreck is good because God has allowed this event to happen for me to see that he's preparing me for glorification. This wreck is good because God has allowed this event to happen for me, for me to be pointed to Christ. God allowed this to happen right here, this wreck to happen. Let me see that I don't have to make an idol of these things in this world. For God allowed this to happen for me to see his attributes, for me to see areas in my life that I'm not glorifying him in god has allowed this to happen i go on and on and on see i didn't go to him spare which he did spare thank the lord he spared the life right i'm not saying it again i'm not saying that i'm not saying that again that um that um we shouldn't praise god for sparing our life we should praise god for that but what about the suffering of himself right in that particular moment that's what i'm referring to if you notice, I didn't say anything about the new car. I didn't say anything about a new job. I said, in that moment, I am in a car wreck right now. And the oh Lord, you allowed this to happen. Devastation, right, around a right happened. But Lord, I know you're going to use this moment to draw many to Christ. You're going to draw many to know you. So I want to encourage you when bad things happen. In those moments, what it mean to see the good in God? What does it mean to see the good in God? We have a hard time with this thinking through this because not our society has made an idol of victimization. And again, bad things do happen, right? Bad things happen in this world. And God will judge, God's gonna judge those. If anybody have wronged you, have done these certain things, God will judge them. He's the God that's going to vindicate your name. So I'm not. I'm not saying that things happen. You just turn in a way of. Um, you say you turn under the cheek and you don't press charges on people and things of that nature. You do have a legal system that you you can use with certain things. You do have those things. But I want to say in the life of the Christian, though, is that even though when you do those things, you still can see that God is using the moment for good, right? But at, at times we see as Christians. We blame and talk bad about suffering. But Paul encourages us to embrace the good in suffering and don't let victimization steal the moment of cherishing the good things. A believer can truly be a victim, but they are firstly looking at good rather than negative. Again, a believer can be a victim of certain things, of a bad thing, of truth, something that truly, truly happened. When I say truly happened, but they can still see the good. God, you let us to have me to trust you. I'm going to trust you in this, Lord. Go before me. I'm going to get cared for by the church. And you might go ahead and follow with a certain step you need to follow to get people involved to do what they need to do, whatever the situation may be. But as Christians, in the middle of what happened to us, we still see that God has allowed that. And it's going to be for. because they know that God is the one that allows certain things to happen for us to be more like him. God has redeemed the sinful acts of man and turned them around to make those precious moments areas for maturity for us. God has made redeemed these moments to make a maturity for his believers. So I'm gonna give a couple of quotes for a couple of believers that have been through certain things. It's a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. Anybody heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Elizabeth Elliot lost her husband, Jim Elliot as a missionary. Listen to what she said after losing her husband. Listen to this. I have shared this quote with many of y'all before in the past. And I can say to you, I know exactly what you're going through, but I can say that I know the one who knows. And I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And if we'll trust him for it, we can come through to the unshakable assurance that he is in charge. He has a loving purpose, and he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing. She lost her husband, and she comes out and says, suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is never for nothing. It is always for the good and the ultimate good. Another quote somebody says. There's a longer quote here. Listen to this one. that says this, and the final outcome is, of course, in God's hands. And I do not know that God moves in mysterious ways, and I have seen the, the unmistakable signs of his work during this time. The Lord has taught me things about myself I wouldn't have known were in the depth, depth of my heart. Fear needed to be brought to the surface. I needed to be trained in the art of forgiveness and learn to bear all the things of love. God really was working all things together for my good, conforming me to the image of his son, and yet the outcome wasn't what I hoped for. And this person right here said, now that God used suffering to show the heart in this. The depths of the heart that would never been brought out. Things we hold in, we don't even know about ourselves. Bad time bring those things out. Suffering does that. Another quote is this. Today you might be living through a situation that simply doesn't seem good. And yet your heavenly Father is whispering, oh dear one, trust me. He know all things and is indeed working all things for good for those who love him. He is not withholding good from you. It isn't in his care to do so. Even what might appear like death will one day be revealed as an ultimate good in your life. Something that might be so terrible might be the very thing God used that make you the person that he called you to be. Paul David Tripp, y'all have ever heard of him? He has a health condition, and he talks about it in his book of suffering about his health condition. He said this right here. Scripture never looked down on the sufferer. It never mocks his pain. It never turns a deaf ear to his cries, and it never condemns him for his struggle. It presents to the sufferer a God who understands whose cares, who invites us to come to him for help. Who promises one day to end all suffering of any kind and once and for all. Because of this, the Bible, while being dramatically honest about suffering, is at the same time gloriously hopeful. It is not just that the Bible tells the story of suffering honestly and authentically, it also gives a concrete and real One person said this If through losing what this world prizes we are unable to gain, what it despises, treasure in heaven, invisible and equitable, isn't worth any kind of suffering. What is it worth to us to learn a little bit more of what the cross means? Like life out of death, the transformation of earth loses heartbreaks and tragedy. So I'm looking for what to come in the midst of suffering. Suffering points us to the glory to come. These quotes, and I keep going on with many more quotes, of those that may have been suffering. They have faced suffering. They have lost loved ones. They have had a health issue. They both didn't come to the conclusion that God was trying to get us to complain or give up on him. But they both pointed us to see God's good and suffering. The last thing I want to share, what happened to the believer that loved God in the midst of suffering? They are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul now explains more about the ones that are loving God. He wants to make sure we don't get this wrong. He wants to be clear on who those are that loving God. So Paul wants to make it clear that it's one that are truly loving God are the ones who are called according to his. According to god's purpose this word called is used quite a bit all throughout the new testament we saw this earlier in romans 1:6, including you who are called to belong to jesus christ this calling doesn't want those who are called to be with jesus christ revelation 17:14: they will make war with the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the lord of lords and the king of kings and those with him Are called and chosen and faithful You got to know that the word called Always relates to the life of the believer For the most part 1 Corinthians 22 To 31 we also see Those that are called by Christ We saw that down in verse 27 But God chose what is foolish In the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak In the world to shame The strong And it goes on 28 God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are, and so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So almost every time we see the word called, it's very, very similar to the word like chosen. This is not used for unbelievers, but of those that are believers. Is you related to believers? Jude one, Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called beloved to God, and the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Again, called as someone that was selected out by God. They didn't call God first, but God has called them first. And why is Paul telling us the ones that have been called? You remember when I just said everything, all things work together, all the bad and the suffering things work together? Paul now at the end of this verse, he points you back that this is who I'm referring to, I'm referring to those that have been called. At any moment you start doubting that God is not talking to you through his word, Paul now encourages that he is talking to you. At any moment you feel like God is talking to somebody else, that God is going to do this for them, God is going to care for them that are around you, that God is not going to care for you, Paul said, I'm believing in love. Paul said, if you have been called by God, I'm talking to you as well, that everything is going to work out for good for you. The word chosen is different from calling this way. Chosen deals with in the way of what has happened in eternity, that how God had chosen us before the foundation of the world. We know this from Ephesians 1.4. The ones that are called are the same ones that are chosen. And we know that they are truly chosen because of their calling. They Their calling according or concerning God's purpose will the same person is the one that's living God we know that by the rest of the verse let's further explain the described describing this calling as who are called according to his purpose not their own purpose not my purpose but God's purpose this is why God called them to follow him for his purpose this world purpose is for themselves but God purposes for himself. This word purpose, this word prathis, prathis, prathis. I might have jacked that one up. This word plan or setting forth or purpose or will. A person is called for his purpose, a person that is set in the will of God. We talked about the will of God last week. Not only they are loving God, they desire to do his will. So again, how all this work together? For those that are suffering, are the same ones doing God's will. So it makes sense for them to ask the question that, hey God, how can I see your glory in the midst of suffering? Because they already desire to do God's will. For those that are designed to do God's will, for those that are designed to honor God, they ask these types of questions in the midst of suffering. God gave them a new desire. Our first desire is to do the the things of self, like Adam and Eve, right? They ate upon the, the tree that God forbidden to eat, to eat from. They ate these things to worship self. But And their desire is for self. What well, I want, what I want. But now our desires are what God wants. The ones that are experiencing suffering, but is loving God, they desire to do God's will. And they are not left as orphans we're more than well cared for so we have the spirit we're set aside according to God's purpose right we won't be condemned in the midst of hard time the battle of the flesh all that leads us to ask the question of in the midst of hard times God how can I see your glory in the midst of this We have respected mothers here. We have those that are married here. We have those that are single here. We have all these different various situations. For those that are called by God, that are set apart by God, no matter what you may be facing right now, be reminded of this. If it's something else that God could have used, He would have used it to make you to the image of His Son you're going through is perfectly what God has set in place for God to make you the person he called you to be. We're not God, right? God, well, let me let me tell you, God, what needs to be done for me to be like this. God knows better than we know ourselves. So God has, has allowed this plan to be brought out in our lives for us to be the person he called us to be. Again, I think Charles Spurgeon, somebody else said, If it's some other way, grace would have put us there. If it's some other way we could have missed over suffering, grace would have put us there. So the job you're at, the kids that you have, the friends that you have, all of those things you have, God is using every single thing. There's no mistake in any of it. God is using all those things. You can name it in your head right now. Don't say it. out loud. Everything you have in your life right now, you want to go away. If those things didn't exist right now, Grace would have used something else. But God has used those things for you to see his glory, for you to bear to trust him. Let me end with a couple applications. Greg, blink it on me. Remember when suffering comes, that there is good in the suffering, right, and outside the suffering. There's good in the suffering and outside the suffering. Embrace the good inside the suffering. Embrace the good outside the suffering. About when I said about a car, in that moment, what does God want me to see in this car, wreck? Thank you, God, also for a new car. You can thank God on both sides, but don't be so quick just thanking Him for a new car. Thank Him for spiritual life. Say, No, thank you, God, for allowing me to see my heart in this moment. Thank God on both sides. Don't let any any type of suffering or situation get lost. Take advantage of every situation and try to get everything you can get out of that situation that God is trying to show you. Good at it. We read the Beatitudes earlier Remember this right here An application of Beatitudes The word blessed is another word that can be used as happy It can be used as happy When it starts about Blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed is the kingdom of God You go all the way to the bottom Verse 10 in, in Matthew 5 Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. I didn't say that, Jesus said it. You said, Jesus, you want persecution That He said, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. He said, do this in the midst of suffering, persecution. Rejoice and be glad. Now y'all can't say what questions said, smile and suffering. But Jesus said, when persecution happened, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I would say, look to Jesus. Look what happened with Jesus when Jesus was actually put to the test. When Jesus suffered, he looked at his father. Let us be more like Jesus. Another thing here. Remember that for a believer, we're called according to his purpose, not ours. We live our life completely for Jesus now. He called us to this, right? He called us to this. We should look more like Jesus in how we do with things. We find satisfaction when we are most satisfied in Jesus, I think John Piper makes mentions. I jabbed him up on that one. Day. When Jesus gets what he wants out of us, we then find our final, our total joy in life. When Jesus gets what he wants out of us, not what we want out of ourselves, We need to ask the question, Jesus, what do you want out of us? And we find out what Jesus wants out of us, we enjoy our lives even better at that moment. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to remain, maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to, to the one hope that belongs to your call. The one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Second Timothy one nine, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of, of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So, family, how do we respond when things doesn't go as planned in our lives? For us, that we plan out for ourselves. When things go, when tragedy happens in our lives, how do we respond? We respond by Ephesians 4:1 through 6 We respond in a way of humility and gentleness. And again, we share tears. I'm not saying in any of this that we don't share tears. We cry. A loss of a loved one. But we ask a question in the midst of this. God, I don't want to, I might not understand everything right now, but I know, God, you're going to use this for good as we share no tears. So, believers, we get an opportunity as we get ready to leave here. We get an opportunity. As we go back to work, go around family, go around friends. We get an opportunity to let them see you the way Christ sees things. We get to show to the world how we deal deal with disparity. How we deal when people wrong us. We get to show the world how we deal with those certain things because now we see what Christ has done in our lives. Amen, amen. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us.